0: Welcome to another Star Wars Wednesday edition of Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula. Today we are going over Empire Strikes Back, that is episode 5 in the saga, and I am joined as always by my brother Raj. Raj, how are you? I'd just as soon kiss a Wookiee. Well, I mean, that option is probably on the table still. Uh, if we can find a Wookiee for you, excellent. Um, I did actually buy a Wookiee like onesie outfit for Halloween, um, but unlike Star Wars Episode Five, there will be no sibling kissing on this podcast. So, wow.
1: Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um,
0: let's start with the. F- I just want to before we get into the synopsis. This is widely regarded as the best movie in the Star Wars franchise. Um, some people consider it one of the best movies of all time, and it has a ninety-five percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is high. Um, I believe it's the I believe that is the highest of any of the Star Wars films. So you're dealing with um, really a. I don't think it's a standalone film in the sense that it's. Needs too much context from other movies, but I do believe people consider it the standout of the franchise, if that kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So, just wanted to kind of acknowledge that at the top here. As you know, if you've listened to the podcast previously, uh, my favorite movie is Rogue One, although of the original trilogy, I mean, I'm kind of like you, Raj, I kind of appreciate the the first one the most, but...
1: Which had a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes for what
0: So not a lot lower. No. But, um, I think I'd probably go, like, I can understand how this is, this is a little bit more exciting of a movie in terms of like, like you get action right off the bat and it kind of slows down in the middle with the Yoda and, and Luke stuff and then it speeds back up at the end so it, feels a little bit like it's paced a little bit differently Uh, but I will also say and I think this is true of all three movies and maybe it's because they've retouched them and stuff a lot but this movie came out almost 40 years ago in 1980 Mm -hmm. and it the just the uh, quality of the effects stand up remarkably well Um, there's a lot there's a lot more in space in this movie Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of You've got the Millennium Falcon trying to get away from the Star Destroyers a couple different times, and it seems like that part of it holds up really well, uh, and you wouldn't necessarily expect it to for a forty-year-old movie.
1: Yeah, it's not all that visually different in space anyway from Episode Eight, uh, which has some similar kinds of, of chase scenes in in space. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you on that.
0: Um, all right, so let's get into the let's get into the synopsis. And we are three years after the destruction of the Death Star, and the Rebel Alliance, after their base was found on Yavin, even though they were able to destroy destroy the Death Star, the Empire kind of knew where they were at, so they picked up and moved to the ice planet of Hoth. Uh, Now, we'll get into this a little bit. I don't feel like that was the most practical of choices, but... (laughs) Uh, so the Darth Vader, who is now obsessed with finding Luke Skywalker, uh, mostly, I'm assuming because he blew up the Death Star, is, has set out probes throughout the galaxy. One finally lands on Hoth and, uh, and they kind of identify it and, and that's they uh, the Empire basically finds him at that point, um. While that's going on in terms of them sending out the probes and everything, the Luke and, and Han are out on a surveying mission, I guess. I don't know what else you would call it. Fact-finding probe. <laughs> um, and Han heads back in. Luke gets uh, captured by the Abominable Snowman. And I think it's technically called a Wampa. It is. But Yes. I looked it up. I don't... I, I'm going to stick with Abominable Snowman. <laughs> um... And that is the—so uh, he's, he's captured by the Wampa, and then you start hearing Force Ghost, Obi-Wan, telling him to use the Force, I believe. Is that at that, that point?
1: Uh, it was, sorry, I got distracted. Raj, not paying attention to the podcast. <laughs> Super. All right, so Luke. No, no, well, okay, actually, because you're asking, I got confused because— you said he wanted to find Luke because he, uh, you know, because he blew up the Death Star, and it occurs to me, like, does, first of all, does he know Luke's identity? Um, and if he does, does does he know that Luke's last name is Skywalker? And and it, like, does this ring a bell at all for him? So
0: or? I'm guessing. So he when they're when he's coming up behind him in. Uh, A New Hope when he's on the Death Star run, he goes, Oh, the Force is strong with this one. Uh-huh. I'm left to assume that in some time over the intervening years, he's done some galactic research uh-huh. and is like, Oh, this person's name is. Because later the Empire addresses, or the Emperor addresses Darth Vader and says, The young Skywalker boy who destroyed the Death Star. Right. So it and, appears. And it doesn't seem like new information. Yeah, it appears they've had this had conversations regarding. Luke previously. Yeah. Um, So it's a little ambiguous because they don't want to do the big reveal yet at the end. Uh Uh-huh. But I think, to me, it feels like they, uh, in the time since the Death Star was blown up, it feels like they've figured out who Luke is and the connection between him and Vader. Yeah. That's the assumption that I was giving. Yeah. Um, So I think, but I also, I think they frame it as they want to find the one who blew up the Death Star because they don't want to do the big reveal yet. So that was kind of my assumption.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because you kind of have
0: to be coy about it if you're going to save the big reveal for the end.
1: Yeah, which we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more, but that adds interesting motivation on Vader's part of why he's been doing what he's been doing uh, and, and how maybe fervently he's been pursuing Luke. But. It seems
0: fairly because in the opening crawl of this one, mm-hmm. it makes it seem like the Empire is just tracking down the the rebels at every stop and like that they're really got them on the run. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it seems like he's putting a lot of resources and time specifically to find Luke. I mean, the rebels at this point seem like a secondary function because it seems like they're fairly downtrodden at this point in their luck. And I think finding Luke is the primary... It feels like Luke is a bigger threat to the Empire than the Rebels are sure. at this point. So I, that's the vibe I got from yeah. the context.
1: Now, your question was, is Obi-Wan telling... Does Obi-Wan
0: actually talk to him in the cave with the Wampa, or is that... No. At, okay, no. so I know he talks to him after. I thought I couldn't remember if he yeah. talked to him during as well, but... Uh, as Luke, far as
1: I know, we don't see Force ghost Obi-Wan until after he's... After out of the, of the Wampa. Yeah.
0: Um, so Luke figures out that he can uh, move things with the Force and is able to grab his lightsaber and escape from the Wampa.
1: Yeah, and that's actually the first time in the original trilogy that we see, that I know of, that we see somebody use the Force to move an inanimate object.
0: Okay, um, fair enough. There's argument that he, that Luke uses the Force to guide the photon torpedoes into the Death Star. That's, that's fair. I think most, that's what I gather when, when Obi-Wan says use the force and he puts away the guiding computer.
1: I guess I always assumed that he was using the force to know the exact right time to shoot and the exact right sort of place to shoot, but that I, I never really got the impression that he was the one guiding, guiding those. I mean, it could be either way. Cause they made it such an issue about timing, you know, it's like, uh, you know, Bullseyeing Womp Rats and your T16 back home, and, and you know, that it's just like a tough shot. See, to
0: me, I took that to be accuracy, not timing. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but it could have been a little bit of both. I don't know. I just, you can make an argument that he used the Force to guide the shots into the Death Star as well.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, this is the but first time it's explicitly sure.
0: yeah. moving, using the telekinesis part of it. Uh, so he escapes from the Wampa. Um, after he escapes, uh, Obi Wan comes out and. In his forced ghostness, and says, "Go to Dagobah, mm-hmm. um, find Master Yoda." <laughs> and so he does that. And meanwhile, right after that happens, Han finds him, cuts open. What what are those animals car- called? Tauntaun. Tauntauns. There we go. I always want to say wontons, and that's not right.
1: <laughs> Um, well, you have wampas and tauntauns. If it, they made it,
0: maybe a wonton. Maybe a wonton. Maybe that's the meat in the wonton. <laughs> oh, is the baby of a wampa and a tauntaun? <laughs> Just saying, because nobody really knows what that is. <laughs> uh, so he cuts open the tauntaun, sticks Luke right in there. Um, I believe that's very similar to a scene in The Revenant, where I've not seen it. Uh, I Leo, I think, I think after the bear attacks I me, mean, like cuts open the bear and sleeps in it. I think I don't remember. Yeah, well. I didn't pay super close attention to that movie because it's a tough watch. But anyway, so Han rescues him. And as I said, the, they find the probe that, at this point they find the probe that uh, Darth Vader has sent out through the galaxy. And they're like, there's a pretty good pretty good chance the Empire knows we're here. Uh, and I'm sure
1: blowing it up was the best way to...
0: I think they were trying to disable it and because they say it it must have a self-destruct he didn't shoot it that hard yeah Yeah. so I don't think they were trying to blow it up I think they were trying to disable it and get whatever information they could from it Um, but the self-destruct sequence uh, takes over which is a nice little precursor if you've seen the first episode of the Mandalorian one of the droids wants to self-destruct itself all the time oh I haven't Um, seen it yet. well that's your fault it's a mistake yeah you know Um, but anyway so the the Empire finds him and basically goes and invades the base. And this, I believe, when Darth Vader enters the base, is the first time we hear the Imperial
1: March. Um, I don't think so. Because
0: uh, it's not in the first one.
1: No, it's not in the first one, but I think it was... I think the Imperial March was on the uh, de- on the s- Star Destroyer, if I remember right. But I don't think I wrote it down.
0: Well, that's not helpful. No. Um, okay, so... They evac- they're they evacuating the rebel base, and Darth Vader comes in and is, you know, doing Darth Vader stuff, and the there's a... That's
1: right after this. I did write it down. It's in space.
0: They play the Imperial March when he comes into the thing. When he comes... When Darth Vader comes into the...
1: Into the base. Into the base, they play the Imperial March. Okay, well, it didn't register with me until uh, the next scene.
0: That's... Okay.
1: I was just caught up in the movie. I, I <laughs> like Star Wars, okay? That's why we're here.
0: Alright, well, anyway. Uh, so, they basically run the rebels out of the base. They're um, trying to get as many transports out as possible. Meanwhile, they're uh, the rebels are fighting the AT-AT at walkers um, and they're using some creative little uh, trickery with the cables to make some of them fall down which was interesting i guess uh kind of some precursor to return of the jedi where you've got they're not at at what are the ones in return of the jedi atst Atst. okay yeah atst mm-hmm. um those like where techno song yeah at-st, atst 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 um no then those it's kind of some precursor to would that really destroy that thing uh, i don't know whatever okay so, that's kind of the vibe I got from this, and then you also get that on Endor with the Ewoks, where you're like, is that... Yeah, yeah. so
1: to clarify, I, I'm looking through my notes better here. They start the Imperial March while Vader is still on his Star Destroyer, and then it continues while he goes uh, into the base. Gotcha. So okay. I, I, there's so much... I will say this, and that's this is part of why I got confused, is this movie switches between scenes like very often i think way more than it happened in a new hope and maybe that more than happens in any other film i could be wrong but uh i mean i i try the way i write my notes is i keep track of like where are they when this stuff is happening and it's like base exterior space hoth Luke, uh, you know, a Dagobah, and then it's just, like, back and forth and back and forth for this entire movie. Yeah, so, and I,
0: I think that maybe is why it feels more quickly paced than yeah, A New Hope, because yeah, you're moving a lot, and even though you're only going between a couple different locations, you're going back and forth a lot. Yeah. Um,
1: and that's actually something that I like less about this movie, um, is is that it feels, to me, it kind of felt like the Dagobah thing was dragged out, because it's like, Dagobah, back to Vader. Dagobah, back to uh, Millennium Falcon. Dagobah, you know, and it's just like, let's have like three conversations with the Yoda at one time and then just be done and go back, which I understand We'll get to doing,
0: that but. in a little bit. I want to finish the synopsis first. Sure. Um, yeah. So as they're escaping the base, uh, Luke goes to Dagobah, and Han in the Millennium Falcon is trying to go to light speed. Surprise, surprise, the Millennium Falcon's broken again. Uh, and they're not able to get there, so they hide in an asteroid, which turns out to be the mouth of a thing, and they have to fly out of there. And the uh, lightspeed still doesn't work; the hyperdrive still doesn't work on the Millennium Falcon, so they hide on the back of one of the star destroyers. Meanwhile, Darth Vader is very upset that they can't find him and kills like three of his captains. Yeah, uh, just very, very choke happy in this one. Yeah. He's choking a lot of people. Yeah. Um. Han, which I kind of like this um, in context of Solo and him having been part of the Imperial Academy, mm-hmm. knows that the Empire empties their trash before they jump to oh, light yeah. space. Yeah. And I've always kind of wondered like, well, why does he know that? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of just like, oh, he was in the Imperial Academy. That makes sense. Yeah, that's good um, anyway, so as they as the fleet's about to break up to um, because they think the Millennium Falcon jumped to hyperspace, uh, the Millennium Falcon just floats away with the trash. Uh, but Boba Fett being a good bounty hunter, has this idea and finds them and tracks them to Bespin, where we meet Lando Calrissian for the first time. And that's at the Cloud City. Turns out, though, because Boba Fett was tracking them, the Empire gets there before the Millennium Falcon, which if the Millennium Falcon is so fast, how did they get there before it?
1: And also, if they are tracking it, why would they... How how do you know? Maybe,
0: I don't know, if they like intercepted communication. I don't know. It's like... There's it looks
1: a, like they're going to Bespin. We'll race them there just in case.
0: There's a Well, so I will say, Darth Vader does say calculate all possible destinations based on their last known trajectory. So it's maybe true. they got lucky. I don't know. Yeah. Um, or maybe the Millennium Falcon has seen better days and isn't that fast anymore. <laughs> um, that's also possible, considering the hyperdrive is always broke. Although, you know what? They don't have a hyperdrive at this point, so the oh. Empire could have... Hyperspaced there,
1: they're just like running on fumes. Yeah, they're just like
0: sputtering along like that car on the highway. They're just like, <laughs> boop, boop,
1: boop,
0: boop, 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 boop. Um, but yeah. So the hyperdrive is bo- broken. So that makes sense. Never mind, we're good. Uh, so they get to the Cloud City. Lando has already cut a deal with uh, with the Empire, so that's not great. They freeze Han and Carbonite, um, and Luke leaves Dagobah because he sees a vision to go and find Luke and Leia and, or excuse me Han and Leia and Chewie and he goes fights Vader gets his hand cut off and bum 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 Darth Vader's Luke's father and that's he is? Uh, and yes he is sorry I watched the spoilers. end of the spoilers um meanwhile the bounty hunter is taking a carbonite frozen Han Solo off to Jabba the Hut. And after Luke finds this out, he basically just jumps down the giant uh, dangle of the Cloud City and <laughs> Force speaks to Leia.
1: <laughs> what else do you call it? I, I don't know, but it just made me think of Luke as the dingleberry to, the, to Cloud uh, City. To the dangle. And uh, you the, know that, that phrase, I, I forget what movie it's from, but... Uh, you're my Huckleberry. People say that to each mm-hmm. other. Um, and it's like, we could make sure it's to say, Luke is my Dingleberry now. Um, with all the, because with you... the Cloud City. Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> anyway, that went in a weird place. It did. I don't know. Uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, and then he, like, force speaks to Leia. And Leia's like, we got to go get him. And they go get him. And then they take him back to the fleet. And he gets a robotic hand, just like Dad. <laughs> uh, and that's it. That's the movie. Yeah. We... Lando, well Lando and Chewie leave to go try and find Han, and Luke and Leia are left staring out a window. And that is Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Uh so let's go back to what you were saying before. Well, so- about the we'll just start there where you're you're having the issues between the cuts between Dagobah and the rest of the scenes of what are hap- what's happening. Yeah. So, what I was trying to figure out was the time frame over which this takes place. Yeah. Because for a couple reasons. Number one, when I first watched his movie when I was a kid and throughout most of my viewings as an adult, I'm assuming that that Luke is on Dagobah for like a day or
1: two. A couple of days, yeah. Seems like it.
0: But there is a lot happening while he's on Dagobah. So it's possible that he's on Dagobah for a lot longer than we realize and that some of the cutting in between is to help kind of break up that time and show that he's there for longer. Because you're right. If he's only there for a day or two, all the cuts between Dagobah and everything else that's going on yeah. seem like a lot. But if he's there for a little bit longer, it makes a little bit more sense. It's like, okay, this is what's happening over there. Because, I mean, I mean, listen, we don't know how long they were inside the asteroid. The, uh, the Millennium Falcon. Sure. We don't know how long they're inside the asteroid. We don't know how long they're chilling on the back of the Star Destroyer. We're seeing action points from there, but they could have been hiding for an indefinite amount of time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's things that point to it being relatively quick. Like, I don't think they were there for a few weeks, but they might have been there the better part of a day. Um, you know, and then, yeah, likewise, we don't know how long space travel takes, and And so, how long were they en route to Bespin? Right. So, yeah, I mean, you can buy them a few more days.
0: We don't know how long they were on Bespin before... um, We don't know how long they were on Bespin before they find out the Empire is there. We don't know how long they're there in captivity before Luke comes. Because I get that they make it seem kind of fast, but also... A, it makes the training not make that much sense if it's that fast...
1: Yeah, especially because Luke at one point is like, uh, you know, Yoda was like, you failed in the cave, remember? And he's like, that was so long ago. And it's like, I don't know, maybe 36 hours ago is what it feels like. But Right,
0: but if it's a longer, especially, I think you've got a decent amount of ambiguity on the time frame on the Cloud City. Yeah. And so we might be talking about the course of a lot longer, several weeks or whatever. Maybe, yeah. Uh, in which case, the cuts make more sense. That was my only... Yeah. Also, the training makes more sense if it's longer.
1: Well, and the only thing that that really helps for me is that uh, Han and Leia, so between the time that they kind of escape Hoth and the time they get to Bespin, they get a lot friendlier by the time that they get to Bespin, you know, because he comes in the room at one point and like kisses her on the head, and that's after she's been like calling him a scrubby looking nerf herder and all sorts of things. Uh, which is one of the greatest lines in all of Star Wars. but Well, I think you know.
0: part of that, I mean, the time passage could help there, but also it kind of seems like when they're on, on the base at Hoth, it seems like they have some history sure. that we're not aware of, and maybe they're just having a... It seems like mostly she's mad that he's leaving. Right. And now that he hasn't left, maybe they're but just prepared. But it also seems,
1: it, it seems like unresolved tension until they kiss on the Millennium Falcon later, that seems like the first time they've kissed. At least to me, that's that's what it seemed like. Mm, that's like, like she finally gave in to his charms or whatever.
0: Yeah, see, I don't think that because when on on Hoth, when she's like when he's like, well, that's not what it was like on the in the South Passage where she expressed my true her true feelings for me. I was assuming that was kissing.
1: See, I don't think so at all. I think that that was his way of making. Luke and the droids think that that's what she did and, and she's so annoyed at that thought that she kisses Luke instead because even his reaction there is like yeah, he, he can't believe that she kissed Luke almost like seriously this guy got a kiss before I did and
0: yeah I don't buy that at all
1: I think we are reading this movie in two totally different ways
0: yeah I, don't, I think that I mean it's been three years since A New Hope you don't think they kissed it that entire time no I don't buy that at all
1: well, first of all, we don't know what all Han has been doing in those three years. And secondly, um, she's been busy, like, becoming a general in that time. So, uh, I don't... Yeah, I don't buy it at all. I think this is the f- the closest proximity they've been for a while, because he had to go pay off Jabba and that sort of stuff at some point. Well, he still needs to go pay That's off That's what I'm saying. Java. He hasn't been That's to go see Jabba.
0: I think they've been together most of this time.
1: I I don't know. I, I think they. I
0: think the way I read this is that they're not like in a relationship, but like they've done relationshipy things.
1: <laughs> I think you're too 2019 about this uh, because I think
0: that's very like, Han Solo of like. I think that's a very like Han Solo way to read the movie.
1: That's fair. I just think that them kissing on the Falcon, it seems like the first time they've crossed that
0: line. It seems like to me the first time that she's not mad at him in a while.
1: Yeah, I don't know, but his line about... Like, You're reading
0: this very, like, 1843.
1: <laughs> but his line about, you know, like, you need a scoundrel or whatever, and it, it's it's like selling her on the idea of him entirely, not on, like, come on, let me back in. No, it's, it's, he doesn't say, he
0: he's says something to the effect of, you like scoundrels, or, or like, you like me because I'm a scoundrel. Like, this is a conversation they've already had before. I just I think you're I think you're reading this movie in a very like I saw this when I was seven and very like prudish way I don't I don't think I I don't think you're reading this in a realistic adults have been on a spaceship for three years together way <laughs> at all I'll
1: I'll admit that I think there's something that happens between that kiss and Bespin because they get a lot closer in a hurry and it's like I think he let Chewie dry for a little while but uh, no okay she says you make it so difficult. Or no, he's uh, he's the one. Uh, she says, "You make it so difficult sometimes." He says, "I do, I really do." You could be a little nicer, though. Come on, admit it. Sometimes you think I'm all right, uh, and then she says, "Occasionally, maybe when you aren't acting like a scoundrel." He says, "Scoundrel? I like the sound of that." It's it's like the first time they're having this conversation.
0: No, I don't think that's, I don't think that's right at all. <laughs> that sounds like they've back and forth been like, "Hey." You're too much of a pain. It's like, yeah, well, you're super uptight, so relax. It seems like they've had that conversation a hundred times.
1: I don't I I will admit, I started watching these movies when I was five, so... I think your
0: seven-year-old Empire Strikes Back brain has taken over. I don't...
1: I think it's still a valid reading of the movie. I don't. They have been either
0: in space on a spaceship together or on an isolated rebel base on a frozen planet for three years... That is not the first time they've kissed.
1: Then where are the space babies, is my question.
0: Uh, Space contraception, obviously. (laughs) Duh. I just, I don't think there's any chance at all that that's accurate. Uh, Anyway, so, let's get to, let's get to things you like about this movie.
1: Um, So the writing is of... An entirely different level in this movie. The the dialogue is clever because George Lucas didn't write. No, yeah, absolutely, and that's that's exactly where I was getting. Is just that I mean. This
0: is Lawrence Kasdan, by the way.
1: Yeah, some of the most quotable stuff and, in the entire Star Wars. Uh, Lee Brackett. Yeah,
0: Lee Brackett, Lawrence Kasdan.
1: Yeah, the, uh, the some of the most quotable stuff in the entire Star Wars universe, including uh, "Never tell me the odds." Um, you know, the, even when they're on the base early. Your tauntaun will freeze before you reach the first marker. Then I'll see, see you. you in hell. Yeah, it's like it's so quotable. This yeah. movie, and I think that's part of the reason why uh, so many Star Wars fans like this movie the best. For me, it's not my favorite movie of the trilogy. Um, Partly, mostly just because of what happens in the movie, where there's not, uh, you know, we've talked before. I like the standalone. I think A New Hope is a better standalone. I think Rogue One is a better standalone. However, I totally understand that. There's a lot of really enjoyable moments in this movie. It's just the totality of it for me doesn't really work out in the same way. But really like uh, the writing. The characters really seem to come to life in, in this. Uh, and so I, I wanted to give huge props to Lawrence Kasdan. In fact, um, another movie that I'm not as crazy about in the uh, Star Wars universe, uh, Episode Eight, was the first one since, uh, since Empire... That he didn't write, except for Rogue One, which I will say, Gareth Edwards, good job, my my man. He didn't write that; it uh, was uh, Tony Gilroy. Oh, you're right, right. Tony Gilroy. Uh, good job on that one. But uh, you know the prequels and and um, the and Episode Eight, he wasn't involved in, it, and you feel it, in my opinion. Uh, so, yeah, he really... did,
0: or was it him or his son that wrote? Uh, I think it was his son that wrote. Solo that rewrote a lot of Solo. they worked on it together yeah
1: actually and that uh, so apparently he's got a huge soft spot for Solo or for Han Solo as a character and um and and so that's how they kind of pulled him out he said he was done uh, writing Star Wars movies and, and they're like but a Han Solo movie and he's like fine <laughs> um, and, only
0: because you guys are ruining it <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> so they they worked on it together and and he said that that's his real for real his last one. Uh, an interesting thing about that is that he wanted to kill Han Solo in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, way earlier. Yeah, um, and I,
0: and uh, Harrison Ford was on board for that. Yes. Yep. Yeah.
1: Um, and uh, so there's, yeah, I, I like his willingness to take risks as a writer, including killing off main characters and such um it's this movie is much more quotable uh not nearly as wonky in in some of the ways you know laugh it up fuzzball stuck up half-witted scruffy lurk- looking nerf herder you know some of the just best lines in the entire Star Wars universe come from this movie
0: yeah and um I I would agree with that I think it's much uh much better written than uh, a new hope for sure I I just like that. So after the initial kind of slower pacing of the, of A New Hope, that this one jumps right into it. I mean, you've got, basically right off the bat, you've got the Battle of Hoth. Yeah. And that's like a good chunk of the first part of the movie uh, before, uh, before they split up and, and get escape and go to um, Dagobah and, and Bespin, uh, respectively. So I thought that was interesting, um, just that it was kind of the. I, I, I enjoyed the, the, I guess, setup, excuse me, the setup of the movie in terms of instead of being kind of a longer, drawn out, like setup, 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 big action. Mm-hmm. It was like big action, and then it was kind of like exposition, setup, story, and then big action at the end. It was just different, yeah. um, which I kind of liked. And, um,
1: see, I, for whatever reason, this movie feels a lot slower to me. And I think part of it is because, as I mentioned already, that like the cutting up of the Dagobah stuff, I uh, think
0: Dagobah does drag along a little bit, but that's also why I think it's a lot longer on Dagobah than we realized.
1: Yeah. But again, it's just like, it's not something that I needed to see all of it. It just felt like, okay, we get it. He's training. He gets better. Uh, in in any non-Star Wars movie, they'd be handled more with like you know the Rocky montage or something like that. And I get that that's totally not appropriate for the the style of movie that this is. But it's just it's like it's a little, little much for me.
0: I just don't I don't know how else you would do it without to show, I guess, the importance and also the i the intensity and extensive things that you have to go through to you know, trained to control the force without... I mean, yeah, you can't do a Rocky montage in a Star Wars movie. No. And if it's any shorter... I mean, we already thought it was only a day or two. If it's any shorter, you know what I mean? You're looking at, okay, so this is the course of, like, he's there for, like, 12 hours and leaves.
1: I mean, I think the timeline is confusing in this movie. And, uh, and even though we talked about it, I'm not necessarily convinced that it, there is a long... Span between the beginning of this movie and the end, um, and maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But there's, there's things like okay, so say, um, you know, so say it, it is a longer period of time. Uh, why didn't Han and Chewie have time to fix the the Millennium Falcon in that amount of time? Then if they if they really do have much more time,
0: I think um, it's just constantly breaking. I think that's the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> it's just constantly breaking.
1: Um, I just yeah I mean there's just parts of it that, that don't really add up to me on a longer timeline um, and so but then
0: there's parts that don't add up on a shorter timeline I mean, like how does Luke become a Jedi in yeah. 48 hours
1: yeah and again I'm not I'm just not necessarily as big of a fan of all the sort of scene switching and I don't feel like it. it gives you as clean of a narrative as A New Hope by comparison
0: well, there's a lot more going on in this then in New Hope. I mean, New Hope is a fairly like linear, linear storyline where it's like, hey, we start here with this kid and he goes here. You've got main characters in different places in this movie. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how you have to do it.
1: I, I guess for me, just the thing that I don't really care for as much is that it's a lot of the same, sort of the same thing happening again. So it's like, uh, we can't find the Millennium Falcon because they're in the asteroid field. And then it's like cut to Dagobah. Uh, we can't find the Millennium Falcon because they flew over the top of us and they're sitting on our, our you know, behind our radar dish, uh, you know, and then back to Digaba. And it's sort of like I, it just the movie kind of drags a little bit for me because of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think part of it is because they have to be doing something while Luke is training. Yes, I yeah, and. I don't know how else you do it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you could send him to Bestbin earlier, but then you're on Bestbin for a super long time. Yeah, and it's like, well, is that better? You know, is that?
1: Yeah, I you mean, you know, you're it, like, oh,
0: we're just chilling on Bestbin still. Yeah, just hanging out on, still hanging out on Bestbin.
1: Yeah, I think in other movies they solve this with some sort of like monster plot, essentially. You know, where uh, he, uh, they have to escape, and they already did that in the beginning of this film with with the Yeti. Uh, The Wampa. Well,
0: and they kind of do it with the asteroid, too.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, So, I don't... Although the the asteroid monster doesn't age quite as well. (laughs) (laughs) It looks like Slimy from, uh, uh, from Sesame Street, kind of. I
0: mean, the effects are not incredible, but on the monster. I will say, you know what I thought was interesting is when they're on Dagobah, and I could be wrong here, but... I think those are the first... Because there's, like, snakes and stuff and, like, a lizard on Dagobah. Yeah. That's the first time you see, like, Earth-like animals yeah. in the universe. Yeah. I mean, there's no, like, dogs running around. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Like, the, the snakes are your first... I, I'm going to say humanoid animals. But you know what Earth, I mean? Like, earthbound treasure, animals. Yeah. yeah. And so I thought that was interesting.
1: Yeah, I don't know that I really liked it that much because it's kind of... It feels out of place in a way where everything else has been created in this universe to this point, even if you include the sequel or the prequels, um, you know, it's like you, you haven't really seen terrestrial animals up to this point. And, uh, it felt a little sort of cheap by comparison. It's like, Oh, we drove by a reptile store and, you know, well, it probably the was in. cheap. The budget Literally, on this yeah. movie
0: was only like $18 million. So, yeah. um, which I get was a lot in 1980, but it made like almost $600 million. So, wow. Um, the budget on a New Hope was only eleven and it made seven hundred seventy five. Nice. So that's a good uh, it's a good return on investment there if you're
1: Yeah. It's like like being in the cutoff hand market.
0: <laughs> um so yeah, I, I didn't have an issue with I didn't have an issue with the snakes as much as because I know if George Lucas had gone back, he would have taken them out and put in some crappy CG thing. And so I'm like, yep, I'll deal with the snakes. That's fine. No, that's fair. No, that's uh, totally I'm fair. I'm okay with the snakes. Yeah. Um, and especially at the time, the snakes kind of seem like they fit in terms of the vibe you want from that planet.
1: Yeah, that's. I mean. That's and
0: cool. how else are you gonna create that in 1980?
1: I mean, you had the weird snake thing in the trash compactor. And yeah, and you hated it. I didn't like the <laughs> I didn't like the eyeball, and I thought that the juice was gross, but. The, well, the, they kind
0: of have that like in the lake and stuff, but you're just walking around this planet and it's like kind of swampy and stuff. There's probably going to be animals.
1: That's true. I forgot that R2-D2 gets tackled in, yeah. like, in the midst of that, um, which is, is interesting. But he definitely does not have rockets anymore.
0: Um, yeah, see, and it's because he's 20 years older because than he was. he never did. He, yeah, he did. Have you seen episode three? <laughs> um, so what? You, you seem pretty out on this movie. What other things did you like?
1: Um, so one thing that I, I really liked was the introduction of the Super Star Destroyer. Uh, yeah, so we have the regular Star Destroyers that we've seen in A New Hope, and then Vader's ship uh, is—I looked it up. It's called the Executor, um, which it's uh, if you say Executor, then that's like a person who deals with wills. But um, so, but so the Executor, and then there's also other Super Star Destroyers. Named the Annihilator, the Arbitrator, the Eclipse, which is Palpatine's ship, and the Ravager. There's and also an Avenger.
0: Is there? Yeah, they say it in the um, when uh, when Darth Vader is talking to the bounty hunters. Mm-hmm. It's like we're getting a message from Star Destroyer Avenger.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. I I feel bad for Arbitrator, which feels like the worst of, you know... Not like, if you
0: say Executor, then they're about the same. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like,
1: those, those are when the, when the lawyers go on, but... Um,
0: listen, I'm sure there's Galactic Lawyers. I mean, if there's a Galactic Senators, there's got to be Galactic Lawyers, right?
1: <laughs> but you have, like, the Annihilator and then the Arbitrator. Um, uh, but, no, I I thought those ships were cool.
0: Speaking of ship names, mm-hmm. I thought it was
1: interesting
0: that at the beginning of...
1: Yeah, I know where you're going with this. Yeah, the
0: beginning on Hoth, where they're the Rogue leaders, rogue, and rogue two, two and yep. Rogue three, and it made me think either A, when um, when Bodie Rook says Rogue one, either he already knows there's a Rogue team, so it's not an absurd mm-hmm. title, or B, because of what they did, they named a Rogue squadron after that team. I yeah, but either way, I liked it.
1: Yeah, it's it felt like a nice tie-in, even though it was like just this side of of screwing it up because like, thankfully, there was no Rogue One yeah. in this movie. But
0: I, I also, I'm sure the people that made Rogue One like were aware of that. Probably, I'm yeah. guessing. You know, yeah.
1: somebody's keeping the Bible on the yeah. Hopefully, hopefully uh, there's
0: a Star Wars Bible somewhere that's yeah. Like, hey, there's no Rogue One that you know, or whatever. Yeah,
1: I liked the development of Leia and Han's relationship. Um, I liked the, the carbonite freezing, um, as a, like, visually I like it. I, I have some questions about the, uh, the practicality of, of the idea, but...
0: I mean, don't ask about the science, it's just... No, 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 it's it's
1: not about the science. It's about, like, why does Vader need to freeze Luke?
0: I did think about this.
1: (laughs) I... It's like, put him in a headlock, man, and, like, you know, just drag him to the Emperor. Well...
0: I so my answer that I came up with was that they feared, because they don't know that much about Luke at this. point. They don't point. know how powerful he is, right? I think they feared he was too powerful.
1: It's just funny to think that they can catch him, freeze him in ice real quick, and like they're so they're so afraid of how powerful he is. They think they can still well, catch him and freeze him in an ice cube. Okay,
0: but here's look at it this way: if you're capturing him and trying to get him somewhere, you're controlling him for. A matter of hours, probably. Mm -hmm. Whereas in order to freeze him, you have to trick him for a matter of a few seconds. Sure. Also, theoretically, he can't use the Force while frozen. And so, regardless of how well you have him restrained, if he can still use the Force, he doesn't need use of his hands or anything. You'd have to keep him unconscious for that amount of time anyway, which might as well just freeze him.
1: Which I will say makes the dark side much better at uh, being being cautious about... The, the rise of a new, you know, it's like, oh, this guy, there's a force wielder on the other side now. Maybe we should get on this real quickly instead of, uh, you know... The entire Jedi Council being like, hey, Palpatine, you mind helping us out here with this? For like 15 years, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, that's fair. Yeah. Um, I also, uh, one more thing on the, uh, on the carbonite freezing. I love, I don't know why, but... I love that the thing floats on its own. Yeah. Um, It's just like such a cool visual to me. It is a cool visual. Um, That's one of my favorite things. It's another
0: visual you would see in The Mandalorian if you would ever watch it. I will. It's a Disney um, Plus
1: thing. It's, yeah. So
0: just sign up for it.
1: Verizon won't give me my business, they won't give it to me on a business account, and I'm protesting by not.
0: It's $7 a month. (laughs) Go watch The Mandalorian, you (laughs) dork. Um, Anyway, and just, you know, quick sidebar. Once all of the Mandalorian episodes have come out, we will go over the Mandalorian, but I want to view it as a whole. I don't want to view it as an episode by episode, um, just because...
1: Otherwise, this will become the Star Wars podcast. Yeah, I which this be done. I've got other things to talk about. So. <laughs> um, not a lot,
0: but some. Yeah. Anyway, um, one, um, so anything else that you liked?
1: Yeah, one more thing that I really liked, um, and I was probably going to save it for a little bit later, but so uh, speaking of the the carbonite freezing and one of the most iconic scenes of all of the star wars movies uh leia tells han i love you and he says i know and that line was harrison ford's idea uh kasdan and and lucas both hated it but Irvin irving, Kir- irving kirschner the director liked it and he had harrison ford's back and it has become incredibly iconic in uh, th- not only in this movie, but in all of film.
0: I gotta say, I didn't love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I did when I was when I was younger. Yeah. But watching it now, I was just like, eh, it doesn't really work for me.
1: <laughs> it's so, a jerk move for sure.
0: Not just that, but like he doesn't even deliver it that well.
1: I yeah. I like mean, that's
0: fair. if you're gonna say the jerk move, there's not enough like arrogance to it, or like even like a knowingness to it. He almost says it back the way you would say, "I love you too," like. She goes I love you and he goes I know so I think he doesn't say
1: it like I know so my read on that scene is that he says it more tender because he he wants to say I love you back but if he does it's sort of accepting his fate that he's about to die or something and so if he says I know and keeps up the Han bravado then it's like I'm gonna live to fight another day I'm not gonna say it now because it's not gonna be my last words uh, but he he undercuts it with emotion. Actually, that that he's just uh, it's it's still a little tender though.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't know I don't buy it. It didn't work for me. I liked it. In in upon hundredth viewing, it didn't. I couldn't can't get behind it anymore. Um, was that it as far as what you liked?
1: I guess I also liked that Vader is much tougher in this movie. This. I think this is probably another reason why people love this movie is because Vader is the big bad that you want. It's badass Vader.
0: Yeah. And which I like a lot and I wanted to address this too because so in A New Hope, Mm -hmm. Vader kind of feels like Grand Moff Tarkin's lapdog a little bit. Uh Uh-huh. And I don't love that. Yeah. I like that in Empire Strikes Back, he is basically just like running it. Yeah, You know? And... I don't know if... I don't... I guess I don't... I don't know if Grand Moff Tarkin was just, like, so powerful in the bureaucracy. Like, I don't understand why. Like, I don't understand why the change.
1: Well, I think part of it is because, uh, you know, in A New Hope, they're still dealing with the Senate, and there's an existing, like, military structure and all that. But if you think about it, and I I actually just had to think about it for a second, um, and... And and it's like Grand Moff Tarkin and a lot of the military brass die on the Death Star. And so there actually is a massive shift in in authority. Right,
0: but if Vader is as big of a bad as he is, why was he... I mean, was it just like on Emperor's orders that he's not running stuff already? Like, why is he not running stuff already?
1: Well, it was like Nick mentioned in Rogue One how uh, they uh Vader was kind of a secret and sure. and he was like the sort of chupacabra myth yeah
0: a little secret weapon like do they have the nuke
1: yeah exactly yeah. and so i think um i think we're just watching with not a lot of explanation but we're watching Vader come out of his shell and just be like all right it's my time to shine now
0: yeah i guess i guess i would i would buy that more if we were Closer to the end of Revenge of the Sith, where, like, if this, if it was, like, Revenge of the Sith, five, maybe ten years later, we're at A New Hope, and he's still kind of, like, feeling the ropes of where, you know, of his place in this whole thing.
1: (laughs) Where does he belong in the world? Yeah. Uh,
0: Well, Michael W. Smith, (laughs) my place in this world.
1: Um...
0: That's for you, old school, uh, contemporary Christian music fans out there. <laughs> uh, although, you know, what freaked me out? Sidebar here. I was listening to '90s on Nine on uh, Sirius XM and that like came up. They were doing like the uh, like one of their countdowns from like '92 or whatever that song mm-hmm. came out, and like that was on the list. Oh, really? And I was like,
1: was Michael W. Smith a crossover guy? <laughs> Weird. I was
0: not prepared for that. Anyway. I
1: I didn't think Star Wars would ever get into Michael W. Smith, but... Yeah.
0: Um... But, so, yeah, I, I guess the Senate makes more sense to me in the sense of, like, they could not just unleash Vader because the Senate would not have it. <laughs> yeah. um, so that... Doing what now? That, <laughs> I'm sorry, there's an android uh, robot man? What's happening? <laughs> he just chokes people all the time? Kills children willy-nilly? I mean, on at least two separate occasions. <laughs>
1: that we know of.
0: Chokes people out just a lot. <laughs> uh, so that that explanation makes sense to me, is that they couldn't unleash him fully until... The Senate was no longer an option.
1: Well, and if there's anything that we know, it's that Star Wars is bad at timelines of when we feel like stuff should happen because it's like, you know, how long things took in the prequels that seemed ridiculous for them to ta- figure out Palpatine and also, you know, who was trying to kill Padme and all of that stuff. Yeah. And, and this movie with how long is he on Dagobah and all that. So it feels like they don't really care.
0: I wonder, too, also if... In, like, the George Lucas original, like, cut or plan, there's another, like, hour on Dagobah mm-hmm. that he's like, he's been here for seven months. Or, and, or, or also... And Irvin Kirchner's just like, no, 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 no. You get ten minutes, you get ten minutes on Dagobah, that's all you get.
1: Yeah, or, or also some, like, lengthy bureaucratic discussion about letting Vader out of his cage or something. That, sure. That would be very yeah. Lucas as well.
0: Um, yeah, so I, I get... The, the timeline's a little ambiguous there, but... Yeah. I did like that we've got... Like, we've got kind of peak Vader in terms of his power and his ruthlessness. I mean, like we said earlier, he just... Anybody that disappoints him at all immediately choked out and killed. Yeah. and Just no questions asked. I, and he goes... Even at one point, somebody's like, I'll go and apologize to Vader myself. He goes over, chokes him out, and <laughs> he says, apology accepted, Captain
1: Nita. Yep. Um, it, and along those lines, uh, another favorite from this movie is the Imperial March, uh, as, as we already talked about. But it's just so good. And iconic. I mean, yeah. yeah it's you, you can hear that, that music out in public somewhere. And, it's just, and for me, anyway, there's just a little bit of, like, what's about to happen? You know, just... It's it's scary. It's so great.
0: Yeah, I mean I don't it doesn't like strike fear into me, but I also wasn't afraid of Vader like you were as a kid, so have
1: you seen those prank shows though where it's Yeah, like- where
0: like there's like uh, there's like a legion of of stormtroopers that just like are marching after people and they're like, Ah Yeah, yeah they start yeah. running.
1: Yeah, especially when Vader comes out too. Yeah. And, and it's like especially if the Imperial March was playing then, I'd be scared.
0: I would pretend to have a lightsaber and be like, Let's do this <laughs> Um <laughs>
1: It's kind of the same way that people react to Scary Clowns being out in public. I, I'm not okay with it. No,
0: yeah, Scary Clown I'm out on for sure. <laughs> scary but
1: Darth cl- Vader, totally fine.
0: Yeah, well, because, I you know, like, they're still good in him. I can feel it. <laughs> <laughs> um, was there anything else you liked about this movie before we get to nitpicks?
1: Um, no, I, I think that's that's pretty much it. Um Yeah, there. Yeah.
0: Um, How did you feel about well before we get to nitpicks and maybe this is part of your nitpicks? Mm. How did you feel about the fight scene between Vader and Luke at the end, the lightsaber scene?
1: I mean, especially compared to the lightsaber duels in in the newer movies, um, I think the fight choreography just like does not hold up as well as you would want it to. I do think it's a lot better
0: than the Obi-Wan and Vader fighting A New Hope. Yeah. Uh, my biggest nitpick is when Vader is throwing things at Luke while <laughs> fighting him, <laughs> yeah. and Luke is swinging like a drunken sailor, and uh-huh. just like, that doesn't age well. No. it didn't. I didn't like it at the time. To- I remember we were seeing it as a kid, and I'm like, what is he doing? Yeah. Uh, so that didn't age well for me, and never has. Yeah. But in general, I didn't mind it. I thought it was pretty solid.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's quite a bit to like about it, especially when you compare it to the Obi Wan fight, which which is much briefer than I remembered it being. Very as, short as a kid,
0: and not as it's just there's very little like movement. There's yeah. very and there was a lot more of that in uh, whether it's fight choreography or just like general athleticism in the fight. I thought there was quite a bit more and I was it actually was better than I remembered it in terms of Yeah. I was expecting going back into it cuz I probably haven't seen this in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Going back into it, I was expecting it to be a lot more like the Obi-Wan Obi-Wan and Darth Vader fight than it was and I was pleasantly surprised by that part. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, maybe the part where he's getting stuff thrown at him is better too." And it was not. No, no. It was not at all. all.
1: I mean, I like that it changes scenes, although where Luke kind of disappears in the middle of it and goes down that lighted tunnel. Like, it's, it's a, there's a little bit of con- confusion to me of like, how do they know where they're going? The, you know, it's like uh, a little weird. And then also, I think compared to what we know is coming in Return of the Jedi, which is a very good uh, lightsaber fighter, at least I hope it is. <laughs> its is. has been a while since I've seen the movie. Um, yeah. It's, it's maybe not everything that I hope for. Although I will say, um, Again, thinking of people seeing this for the first time and A New Hope being the only lightsaber battle that they've ever seen, right? then this is a massive upgrade for them and they're probably pretty okay with it. This, again, is another way in which the prequels have kind of doomed uh, the viewing of, of things because it's like there's so much of everything in those movies that you do have some better choreographed lightsaber battles and more impressive... Jedi movements, even if some of them are absurd, <laughs> um, and and so it, it makes this age poorly by comparison. Well, this was all we had, we were fine with
0: it. Sure, and I, I will say there was a little bit of that in this fight, With you know, um, Luke does a couple, there's a couple spins that flips, Luke does, yeah. there's a flip, Vader jumps down the flight of stairs, which is kind of cool, and menacing.
1: Also, yeah, that was menacing, but... <laughs> Uh, all I could think when, when he was up there he was like I have the high ground yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like why did you give that up bro like, he still hasn't learned Anakin
0: <laughs> not the brightest uh, not the brightest bulb
1: <laughs> that that lesson cost him an arm and the leg so. <laughs> uh, cheesy dad, dad jokes joke.
0: yeah gross um, so I yeah I, I actually liked that scene um, how did you feel about the big reveal how that went down
1: well okay so um I like it. I, I still like it. Um, and I, the one thing that I will say about how the um, how the prequels treat us in this movie is that, as I kind of alluded to before, um, when the when the Emperor and Vader are talking about the about who Luke is, um, they there seems to be more going, more subtext going on in that scene. Because of the prequels, yes. Uh, that I never, uh, you know, that I never really necessarily necessarily picked up on. Because uh, he even says, uh, "I have no doubt that this boy is the offspring of Anakin Skywalker." How is that possible? And we don't know that Vader is Anakin Skywalker right. at this point. Yes. And so that question is a lot more loaded than uh, you know, than we think. But the other thing that's interesting is that. Um, is that the Emperor would know way better how it's possible than, yeah. than Vader. And so it's more of a just mind trick by the Emperor to even ask that question. You know, how is this possible? And it's like, bro, you know what happened. You know that she didn't die until after she gave did the kids or, you know, br- uh, gave birth to the kids. So um, that's, uh, yeah, just a lot of like kind of mind. Which I also think that gives
0: credence to the idea that the that Emperor killed, like, killed Padme from afar
1: and I'm okay with that um, theory
0: especially if we're going up along the theory of he's the one that uh, that had the midichlorians create Anakin in the first place mm-hmm. and he's got this power over the midichlorians. it would make sense if he's also able to kill Padme from a distance and
1: would want to wait till the grandkids are born would yeah, want, they're his grandkids. Not
0: yeah. only not just that, but like and also he's always looking for a new, younger, better heir, right? Yeah. That's his con he's constantly doing that. Yeah. And so It's oh, kind of
1: like being an admiral in this movie. It's like maybe you don't want that promotion. Right? Yeah. You're about <laughs> like to be maybe replaced. you don't
0: want to be his apprentice. <laughs> um but yeah I mean he's constantly looking for a bigger, stronger, better, younger um people to train up and be his apprentice. It would make sense that he's like, okay, if I was able to turn their father, I can probably turn them. And they're obviously going to be super powerful like their father. Yeah. Um, So that that to me, I think that kind of flows together nicely. And you're right, the, the prequels do serve us well in that sense. Especially in that scene because when you watch it and you have no idea what's going on... There's not a lot of subtext there. There's yeah, you just also not... don't know
1: uh, any of the relationship between the yes. characters. And,
0: and you're just like, oh, the, uh, Anakin must have been, uh, you know, that that's an important character, I guess. Yeah. Um, We've heard his name before. Yeah, right? and you're like, okay, so his offspring, if he was a Jedi, his offspring probably Force-sensitive, whatever, you get that. Yeah. But it's not, okay, this all-time powerful, you know, Force-user... Who is now standing directly. And it also kind of, I thought it was very interesting that it kind of gives Obi-Wan some credence in the way he describes what happened to Luke's father to him as well, in the yeah. sense of like, Anakin's dead. Yeah. Like, Anakin's gone. Well, yeah, because even, even to Darth Vader, Anakin is dead. Yeah,
1: even the way that uh, the Emperor refers to it, he says, the force is strong with him the son of Skywalker, must not become a Jedi. And it's like, why would he, you know, he's obviously they're trying to save the reveal, but...
0: But why wouldn't you say your son is not allowed to become a Jedi? Exactly, yeah. um, Which, again, I think is partially because of the big reveal, but I think it's also partially because the Emperor's doing his level best to keep Darth Vader's mind from ever connecting back to his time as Anakin Skywalker. Sure, yeah. Um, which
1: is interesting, then, because Vader's response is, if he could be turned... He could become a powerful ally and he said yes it w- he would be a great asset can it be done he will join us or die master and um i, I like all of that because it's such an interesting um it, it, there, there's a, so much going on between the two of them and that i i definitely didn't pick up on having never viewed the movies in this order yeah um uh, but you know because it's like obviously on some level vader is trying to avoid killing his own kid uh, and I was gonna say
0: this to me also struck me as like the first crack in the armor between Vader and the Emperor in terms of like the first crack in the dark side yeah where okay, maybe he really does want, maybe he really does want Luke to come to the dark side, but he also has to know that the Emperor is not keeping two apprentices.
1: Well, so I mean that if that's true, I think that the Emperor agreeing to it, uh, which, by the way, I don't... You've heard, heard me. I don't believe in the Rule of Two. I don't think it even holds up even within the prequels where... I mean, obviously Dooku was, was uh, you know, a Sith at the same time. And I, so I don't like the Rule of Two. But even if you keep to the Rule of Two and even if you say that the Emperor kind of knows that that's going to become a problem, part of me wonders if the Emperor is so committed to the dark side of the Force... That he's okay. That if they have to kill him in order to rule see, the I galaxy, don't believe he
0: thinks he can be killed.
1: And that's fair. Oh uh, That's I mean, that's, that's I fair. even
0: I think even if he and we'll probably learn more about this in nine. Mm-hmm. But even if his physical body is killed, I think he believes he's immortal.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's true. Which he, he might he be. He's conquered death. He might be. We don't know.
0: Yeah. Um. But that's I, true. We. I do think the entire... This scene in particular is very well served by the prequels because there's so much more there than we realize. And like I said, I think this is the first crack in Darth Vader's dark side armor in that he's like, oh, if I have a... Because this this is ostensibly the first time he's learning he has a son. Or at least these conversations, whether it's this specific conversation with the Emperor or... Um, because he asked, he, why would he ask? How is that possible? If this isn't the first time he's learning about it, right? It's, well, he didn't ask
1: how. How is that? Uh, yeah, he does. Oh, yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. The
0: he says, "There's no doubt that the young rebel who destroyed the Death Star is him. the offspring of Anakin Skywalker." Yeah, and he goes, "How is that possible?" To me, that's saying this is the first time he yes, is hearing yep. he has a son. Yeah, so that's a lot to process.
1: Yeah, he's also pretty quick on his feet for. You know, turning that into right. a conversation, but let's not kill him just yet. Right,
0: yeah. And like maybe eventually he will want to kill him, but he's like, oh, this is new information. I don't want to murder my son yet. Yeah. Um,
1: I have a lot more respect for how manipulative the emperor, emperor, emperor is, is incredibly manipulative. Because uh, even, you know, Vader knows that he has to say in the line at the end, he will join us or die. Yes. Or, or else. The Emperor's not letting... Otherwise, it's not happening. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The other thing that I found was really interesting, and and part of the reason I think it's part of where Anakin starts to turn back, Uh is the Emperor hid this from him. Yeah. And, like, that's a big deal. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, he's finding out not only that he has a son... Yeah. But that the Emperor... Hid the son from him.
1: Yeah. It's like how long have you known about this?
0: And not only that, but if you're Vader, in that in that moment are you also thinking, is what you told me about Padme true?
1: Yeah. Is she that, still alive? That's interesting.
0: Where is she? Did you kill her after these were born? Like, yeah. there's a lot
1: Well he doesn't know there's two babies.
0: Right. So after <laughs> Luke was born. But yeah. So there's a lot going on there, not just with Luke, but then you have to think he starts to wonder about Padme as well.
1: Yeah, and actually, technically at this point in the universe, we don't know that there's two babies, but that's, yes. that's a different story. Uh,
0: but, so that to me, there's a lot in that scene, uh-huh. and I like it a lot because of that. Yeah, And again, the prequels are very poorly executed, but the story that we're given in the prequels... Really enhances this part of the movie. Yes, I agree. To yeah. like an unspeakable degree. Yeah,
1: and the and the reveal at the end of the movie, um, like I said, I, I still really enjoy. Um, it, I like that uh, you know the the lore around how this was shot was that even uh, Mark that Hamill, didn't nobody on know. the set knew. Yeah, that there
0: were. I believe what I heard, and I don't know mm-hmm. if this is true or if I'm confusing it with someone else is that they filmed two different scenes. Yeah. And that this was one of them, and they didn't know which one was going in the movie. So they couldn't tell.
1: Well, and if I remember right, the... And Mark
0: Hamill, I think, was the only actor that knew that this second scene even existed, besides James Earl Jones. Yeah. It was those two. Oh,
1: uh, that's true, because he's not even in the suit, so... Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it's those two that know about the scene and the production crew, and I believe... If I remember correctly, they had two different scenes shot for that for that end ending scene between Vader and Luke, so that the production crew didn't even know if which it one was, was going to make the cut. And I yeah. think Luke and James Earl Jones were the only ones that actually knew which was going to make the cut.
1: Yeah, although um, Mark Hamill speaking about this, he <laughs> it, it was like, nobody cared about the spoilers back then and so he was like showing it to friends and like ah, what is this you know at uh, it, Graham Norton show he gives that interview and, it, and it's really funny um, but uh, yeah I, I really like that reveal And but we do need to talk about something which is that's impossible no I, uh, I'm okay. fine with that I actually I'm, it was
0: not as bad as I because you know it kind of gets made fun of yeah the,
1: no that's impossible! I think this it is wasn't... another way that the prequels serve us well, because the no is way better than this.
0: that acting is way better than anything Hayden Christensen ever gives Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And also, the...
1: Better than some Kylo Run even.
0: It's way better than, like, the internet jokes would make it... Like, if you haven't seen it recently, yeah. it's not nearly as bad and as exaggerated as the internet makes it seem. No, what, yeah,
1: I agree. What were you going to say? What I was going to say is that we need to talk with the listeners and really everyone, stop quoting this line wrong. Oh yeah. It's it's in, no, I am your father. He never he, says, Luke, I am your father. Yes, that's stop correct. Stop it.
0: That he never says, Luke, I am your father. It's no, I am your father. Because he says, Obi Wan never told you what happened to your father, did he? He told me enough Yeah. He told me you killed him. He says, No, I am your father.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So stop quoting the line wrong, and don't buy anything with that line on there wrong because it just it's wrong. Stop it. Um, I don't feel as strongly about it as
0: you do. It is wrong. I just don't care that much. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, yeah. So that the that's the big reveal. And and we I know you said that Mark Hamill showing it to a friend. His friends that don't care. But this is like the biggest reveal in movie history. Yeah. At the time, really. I believe I mean,
1: that I. I believe that I protected my kids from finding out at school because I showed it to them. That's part of why I was going to wait a little bit longer to show it to them. But I was like, I don't want them to find out <laughs> from somebody else. I, I, want, I want to see them watch the movie. I don't care if they
0: find out that Santa Claus is fake. But if they find out that Darth Vader is Luke's father, there will be hell to pay.
1: Honey, turn off the podcast. The kids don't know about Santa yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh,
0: that's funny. Um Hold on, we have a diabetes thing happening. Give me just a second here. There's a beep. not like an emergency diabetes. No, thing. it's just beeping at me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's gonna keep beeping. There we go. All right, there we go. All right. So, uh, was there anything else that you wanted to touch on in terms of either things you
1: like, nitpicks, anything, uh, anything with this movie? Um. So this is somewhat tangential to the movie, but. Um, so, I looked up, I did kind of a, a deep dive on Lawrence Kasdan. And see, you know, I, I'm, I was always curious. We talked last time about what else has John Williams done? Everything. And, Ever, uh, literally everything. Yeah. Um, so, interestingly, Irvin Kirshner um, didn't really do that much. Uh, he did a James Bond movie, and I mean, he, he like made more stuff, but nothing nearly as big as, as Star Wars. Lawrence Kasdan, on the other hand, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Wyatt Earp, The Bodyguard, uh, Silverado, uh, you know, just so many things. And interestingly, uh, The Bodyguard was the thing that, um, that got him famous. It, it was sold a long time before the movie with Whitney Houston was actually made. Huh. And, uh, and that started bidding wars around his other movies. And, uh, and Steven Spielberg was, was like, hey, what are you doing next? And uh, and Lawrence Kasdan was like, hey, yeah, I'd like to do a, a James Bond movie." And and uh, Steven Spielberg was like, "No, I've got something way better for you." Um, he, and he started talking, telling him about Indiana Jones. And uh, and they <laughs> apparently like um, Indiana Jones was named after George Lucas's dog Indiana.
0: Yeah, I knew that. I'd heard that.
1: And uh, the the Lost Ark was something that uh, filmmaker Philip Kaufman's orthodontist told him about when he was (laughs) eleven. And it was just like such a fun. It was kind of fun to see like how kind of geeky these guys got about making a movie like that, and how you know like they were they were kind of geeked out about their stuff in the same way that we geek out about what they made. So that was cool. Uh, Another cool thing that I learned about. Um, about Lawrence Kasdan is that he's been married to Meg Kasdan, his wife, since 1971. So, 48 years. Congratulations. Good job, you guys. Uh, I just felt like, I mean, normally you'd you'd see people who are rich and famous and incredibly successful, and it's like, you know, been married like a million times and whatever, and uh, no, this dude stuck with the one that brought him, so, you know.
0: So, another uh, bit of the Kasdan family Jake Kasdan, one of Lawrence Kasdan's sons, mm-hmm. is the writer and director of the two new Jumanji movies, uh, the ones with The Rock. Interesting. He's uncredited as a writer on the first one, but he is the director. He's writer, director, producer of the this next one that's coming out. Yeah. So Another
1: Kasdan bit he of... He also
0: did... Oh, sorry, real quick. Yeah, yeah. good. He's done a lot of... Jake Kasdan's done a lot of comedy. He did... Uh, Orange County, which was a movie back uh-huh. in the early 2000s. He did uh, Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story. Mm-hmm. Um, he did Bad Teacher and Sex Tape, both with Cameron Diaz. Mm-hmm. And then he's done these uh, these two Jumanji movies. So.
1: so Maybe not quite as good as his dad, but that's
0: okay. I mean, the Jumanji movie was good, the, the first one I saw.
1: And we don't know that all of Lawrence's also, early stuff was great. Bad so.
0: Teacher was funny. I don't uh, see it. It's pretty funny.
1: Um, so... Apparently, Lawrence Kasdan was approached to help write the prequels. Uh, George Lucas asked him to be involved, and uh, apparently, even up to two weeks before Phantom Menace started filming, um, George Lucas was still like, hey, you want to help? And Lawrence Kasdan kept turning him down, partly because he was in the middle of writing incredibly successful movies. Um But, so I feel like I kind of have a bittersweet relationship with Lawrence Kasdan now, because he might have saved us some of this. He definitely could have helped
0: a lot. But it also makes me feel a little bit better about George Lucas, because, like, maybe he knew they weren't, like, maybe he knew he wasn't up to writing them, and, like, he's just like, Lawrence, like, come help me, please.
1: Yeah, Yeah, yes, I agree with that. And, uh, (laughs) and Lawrence Kasdan said that he was at the first screening of The Phantom Menace, and, and it was, quote, just so different that I didn't really know what to make of it, which is his way of really throwing that movie just, just the bus. Just super bad. Yeah, it, it had no connection in my mind to what we had done. <laughs> <laughs> Your eyes are just like, what? How does this work? This, that's all a direct quote from a New York Times article. Um, so going, just going back
0: to Jake Kasdan real quick, um, he also was a director-producer on Freaks and Geeks, which is one of oh, the okay. like, yeah. most popular cult shows of all time. Uh, Californication, which was very well reviewed, New Girl, and The Grinder, which was actually really funny, uh, got canceled after a couple seasons. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, and then uh, Fresh Off the Boat, which is on ABC right now, I believe. Yeah. Um, and also on Undeclared, which was well regarded at the time as well. So uh, he's done. Maybe the movies aren't the best, but he's done some pretty good TV uh, in terms of directing and producing. So it's a family business. Yeah, and then also Jonathan Kasdan was... Helped write on Solo. Um, He's in talks to... Or I think he's the writer for this Indiana Jones movie that's coming out in 2021, Mm -hmm. which scares me a bit. Um, Mm -hmm. And then he was a bit actor in a lot of his dad's movies in like Silverado and Wyatt Earp, Hmm. um, Dreamcatcher, which was him as well. So I found that kind of amusing. And uh, he was also... A writer on uh, Freaks and Geeks. He was a writer on Dawson's Creek. Um, and he was an actor in several, er, no, he was a director in several episodes uh, of Californication. So him and Jake worked together quite a bit. And it seems like Dad tries to keep him in the loop as well. So, yeah. That's the Kazden family. None of them are as good as Lawrence, but.
1: So, uh, something that I was thinking about when you were talking about the fight choreography between Luke and. Uh, Darth Vader was that um, it, it's actually really, really hard to do good sword fights. And this is, you know, I mean, it's laser swords, but it's, it, they're swords. And it reminded me of um, I read the, the book about, uh, I read uh, Carrie Ellis's book about the making of the Princess Bride and mm-hmm. how he and Mandy Pat- Patinkin both had to take uh, sword fighting lessons from Olympic. Fencers, uh, yeah. and they did it for several months before the movie every day for hours and hours a day and then also between basically between every take of the movie that, that they could sneak away they went to go sword fight and um, obviously that was something that, that wasn't quite done here but uh, you know props to people who actually do it really well because it's, it's super hard to take somebody who's just an actor and not an Olympic level fencer and turn them into somebody who can fight Convincingly with with swords.
0: Um, I did want to bring up also. We were talking about um, we were talking about uh, Lawrence Kasdan and his work on on The uh, Empire Strikes Back. The other credited writer is a woman named Lee Brackett, who was mostly in terms of science fiction a. Uh, novelist and kind of short story writer mm. um, did have some screenplay work but not on the not in the science fiction realm she is credited as a writer despite the fact that she wrote the original screenplay for empire strikes back mm. that was they say it was rejected i i don't know what exactly that means in terms mm-hmm. of screenwriting since she still got credited yeah but um after uh, George Lucas approached her to write it based on an outline that he had yeah and then uh, he turned it over it was right before she died um, in 1978 and then he turned over the um, he turned over the writing duties to Lawrence Kasdan. so I, I believe it was to rework dialogue Yeah. Um, They say that she was credited in tribute despite the fact that she wasn't involved in the final result of the film. But I don't know how much of her screenplay was used or not. But I also thought it was interesting. Um, There's been a little bit of, I don't know if controversy is the right word. Everything's a controversy these days. But in, because in the first couple episodes of The Mandalorian, there's no like humanoid looking women in the Mm. series. Now, there's a lot of aliens that are kind of ambiguous, and some of them could be women. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also, there's only, like, three characters with talking roles in the first two movies, Mm -hmm. or in the first two episodes. That being said, Star Wars, as we discussed in A New Hope, has been one of the, I would say, most progressive in terms of putting women in leading roles, and in roles that are outside of, whether it's Princess Leia, whether it's Rey in the new trilogy, whether it's uh, Jin Erso in... Uh, in Rogue One and not just putting them in damsel in distress roles but in like leading roles and hero roles yeah. and so
1: even if they're largely under underrepresented on screen at least the roles that they're in are are
0: big roles and outside of what roles that normally put they that are normally women are normally put in um, sure you'd like to see more women on screen in general mm-hmm. but it's also at least in the original trilogy in the context of a war where Typically, there's just not that many female soldiers. Yeah, That's just kind of a thing. Yeah, um, So that's something to be considered. But in general, I think it's... Listen, I don't know what the rest of... And I haven't watched episode three of The Mandalorian yet, which comes out today. I also know that there's an actress named Gina Carano who was billed in the promotion of this film. So I assume she's a major character at some point. Uh, so I, I don't think it's going to be a female-less show. Um, but between this and then uh, being reminded of Lee Brackett as a uh, female science fiction writer in the like, from like the 50s to the 70s, or excuse me, like the 40s to the 70s, I don't think there's much ground to stand on that Star Wars is sexist, but I just wanted to acknowledge that as, as part of this as well, and, and Lee Brackett reminded me of that
1: yeah um, speaking of things you know you're saying that her, her script wasn't the final one that was accepted reminded me of something that I found uh, well uh, my buddy Steven so sh- shout out Steven Lambert who uh, we grew up watching Star Wars together um, we, we he showed me on YouTube deleted scenes of the Wampa breaking into the uh, the fortress on Hoth and <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous like it's one of the funniest things i've ever seen so do yourself a favor and uh go to youtube and find deleted wampa scenes and you will not be disappointed it's uh it's something that we're very glad did not make it into the film uh (laughs) where i put the video on right now and it's it's terrible um it, it reminds me of uh do you remember the stories of uh of um the first season of Lost, and... Oh, with he, the polar bear monsters yeah, or whatever? Yeah. That, that's exactly what this this reminds me of.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, um... This feels unequivocally like it was a... Uh, George Lucas' idea. It was a idea. George Lucas idea. I was like, what if he breaks into the Hoth base? <laughs> How does that sound?
1: You know, actually, that reminds me of something I did want to say, is that um, the two times when Darth Vader shows up... Uh, in this movie in, in unexpected ways. So one being uh, walking into the Hoth base um, and then the Which other...
0: kind of highlights his obsession with Luke and not just the trying to squish the rebellion because yeah. if they're just trying to squish the rebellion, he would not be there.
1: Yeah, you just blow everything up and be done. Well, not just that, but also if they wanted
0: to invade the base, he would be on a ship somewhere. He wouldn't be walking through the base.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and likewise um... Then when he uh, shows up on in Cloud City uh, on Bespin, both of those scenes I think are two of the most terrifying scenes in all of Star Wars. Uh, you know, he he it, again like you said, it's just peak where they dark. open
0: the door and he's like at the at the dining room table, like the banquet yeah yeah, yeah, the yeah. banquet head the head of the table yeah. Uh,
1: which although uh, speaking of that, um, we we don't really have time for it, but just. I don't know that I really buy that that his robot hand can stop lasers, um, can can stop the blasters. Uh, I, I don't, don't
0: think that was. I wasn't taking that as robot hand can stop blasters. I was taking that as like the force is absorbing the lasers, or and deflecting I mean, them. I mean, listen, that's part. That's like original canon. That's not even like prequel, like nonsense canon. Like that's that's what?
1: been in there forever. Do you mean just him doing that? Yeah, I mean yeah, it's just we don't really get any explanation of of why or how because Luke's hand doesn't work like that, and uh, and we don't really see. Are we sure? Yeah, because he gets hit in. uh... Yeah, but
0: he's not all. He's also he gets hit unexpectedly. He's also not like his in Return of the Jedi. His hands up, he gets shot again. But he's if he's forcefully and like intentionally trying to stop it, like maybe he can. We don't know.
1: Well, but it's not, I'm saying it's not about the robot hand. That's what I'm saying. That's
0: why I think I think it's the force. I think he's using the force through the robot hand. Uh,
1: something I you know, or just, maybe
0: is that one his real hand? Doesn't he have one real hand left?
1: Uh, I don't. I, I I get lost which one is the real which hand appendages. He wears has gloves all the time. It's it's hard a lot see. of gloves. A lot of gloves in these movies. Um, uh no, it would be his right hand because when he's holding. <laughs> When he's uh, giving uh, Padme the Skeletor hand, when they get married, it's his right hand. That's okay. The one that's facing. The so game. yeah, I just you know
0: it's connected to him. Maybe he's able to use
1: the Force through the. Or maybe hands. the Empire just has better health coverage than, than the Rebels. And that
0: you know maybe they paid for the uh, for the upgraded like the <laughs> the, the laser like the, like the uh, what's it called those rings that are like indestructible. The, uh, uh, uh,
1: um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't. know, It's We're not Teflon. It's I want to say Teflon or Kevlar, but those are both not right.
1: Kevlar is bulletproof. Yeah. But
0: so, so maybe they've got like the equivalent of like Kevlar robot hands. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but um, that's about all I have on Empire Strikes Back. Do you have anything left?
1: No, I, uh, I only to say that I know that it's a lot of people's favorite movies and and movie and and I see some of that uh, for me. I like the more self-encapsulated story, like you get in A New Hope, like you get in Rogue One. I feel like even Jedi does a better job of giving you a self-encapsulated movie. Um, but there are, that said, the bright spots in this movie of peak Vader, of uh, you know some of the, the most memorable lines in the entire Star Wars universe. I, I absolutely appreciate those as some of the best things that happens in the entire series.
0: Well, in this one, without a doubt, is set up for a third movie, right? Yeah. And whereas the first, uh, in A New Hope, there was not necessarily plans for a sequel. Yeah. Um, although now George Lucas kind of is like, oh, yeah, I had three sketched out the whole way. And maybe he had, like, story arcs for three, but I don't know that he ever thought he was going to ma- get to make all three movies. Um, well, I'm, It's kind of like when you get, like, a... When you're a TV series and you're not sure if you're going to get canceled, so you kind of, like, self-encapsulate the, the seasons. Um, yeah, maybe you have a second season sketched out, but you're like, yeah, they're probably not going to let me make this.
1: Well, so like I've been writing uh, a novel uh, on the side, and one of the things that occurs to me when I'm sharing that work with other people is that I just know things about these characters that aren't on the page. You know, it. I know what they like to eat or what happened in their childhood that makes them the way that they are, even if I forgot to write it down or, or chose not to write it down because it's not particularly germane to it. Sure. So, like, maybe in his mind he's like, well, wouldn't it be cool if, uh, you know, but I think we also know from some of the uh, sort of retroactive continuity that they have to fix a little bit something. Like maybe he definitely didn't have it all the way sketched out.
0: No, I don't think he had it sketched out to the extent that, like, jk rowling did with the harry potter series yeah because the continuity in those books is freaking absurd yeah especially considering the fact that they like they started making the movies before she was done making writing the books Mm -hmm. and the continuity throughout is just mind-boggling i mean there is no way that she didn't have the entire thing sketched out before it was done um even to like the smallest details and If you're not a Harry Potter fan, that's fine, but just understand that her ability to keep continuity and have every single detail pay off in some way or another, it will make you incredibly jealous that she didn't write Star Wars, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe there's still time. uh, You never know. Uh, They're giving giving, uh, trilogies out like candy these days. Well,
1: and let's just say Disney, maybe... JK Rowling meets Gareth Edwards, uh, redoing the prequels. I'm just saying I wouldn't be mad about it. I'd be I wouldn't totally be cool with it. that. Um, I w- Although Tony Gilroy is still. I will say him,
0: so. it upsets me a little bit because of how impressive the continuity was for Disney in Marvel, that the 7, the seven, eight, nine don't appear to have been sketched out as well. Mm, yeah. So they better make this they better make nine pay off really well. Um, but we'll, there, we'll have to wait and see. We've got got a couple more weeks still. So <laughs> yeah, um, that's all I have on Empire Strikes Back. Are you good? I'm good. All right. Well, that is episode five, The Empire Strikes Back, and we will, excuse me, we will be back. I got the burps today. Too much chipotle. Um, I will, we will be back uh, in another week for the final film in the original trilogy, Episode six, Return of the Jedi. Uh, In the meantime, make sure you go subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, Heavy Lifting with Robbie Lula, on whatever podcast platform you enjoy most, and we will be back to our regularly scheduled uh, podcasts on Mondays and Fridays, now that we got the anthology films done. uh, We've got uh, every Meathead Monday and every Friday Back to the Normal podcast, along with our Star Wars Wednesdays and... Stay tuned, we might be having a big podcast announcement announcement coming up soon, so keep your ears peeled for that. Also, we'll be posting any updates on Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula Facebook page, as well as my Twitter and Instagram, at Lula, and you can always check out the website, ravilularadio.com. Uh, Raj, may the force be with you. May
1: the force be with you.